Welcome to Out of the Blank. Welcome to another episode of Out of the Blank Podcast. Ben, it's a pleasure to have you on the show, man. Would you like to introduce yourself to everyone out there listening? Sure. Uh, ben Court. I work inside of the um, addiction treatment world and uh, spend a lot of my time focusing on weed. And right now I'm talking to you from a ridiculously snowed in Steamboat Springs, Colorado. I'm surprised you made it, man. I'm telling you. Um, it was close. <laughs> it was close. <laughs> we're making it work. But Ben, please, how'd you get interested in, you know, looking into marijuana and just, you know, other things of that aspect as well, too, especially the industry? That seems like, I mean, it's a complicated story in its own. I mean, I know a brief amount of the marijuana industry, I guess, like the history behind it. I know more about like food politics, like how a lot of that stuff got kind of down the drain, but I'm hoping you could maybe, you know, show me a little bit about your perspective and what you started to guess, get you focused into it. Yeah, man. Um, it, it, that was really the only thing that got me interested in this was the industrial side of it. I, um, in 2012, when we first had the, um, proposed legislation for legalizing weed. I mean, like I'm 43. I grew up in the nineties. I was like, yeah, all right. It's about the end time. Like, um, and then, uh, I, I actually read the bill because that's, I don't know. I, I, I don't know because I, I love pain. And, uh, it was, it was like almost 4,000 words and very few of those words had anything to do with like, decrim reversing some of the rights of the wrong that they were just protections for an industry that didn't exist yet and accelerated timelines to create that industry that i was like hold up man are are any y'all seeing this is this about social justice is this about like libertarian ideals and freedom or is this about monsanto and nestle and philip morris and i'm pretty convinced that it's the latter what like what types of things are we talking about when it means like kind of i guess padding it for a industry that's not necessarily even created yet like that's the weird thing is that like i i remember smoking i smoked pot back in the day i wouldn't i wouldn't do it now um it's not for me it's not my type of thing but i remember used to have to hide behind a taco bell and like oh cops coming you know that type of thing now kids are openly just vaping and i don't even know if it's vape anymore i'm just like is that a is that one of the marijuana cigarettes? And but it's so normal now, and you're wondering how it like right. took off so far. And there was like so much, and you know, when I was growing up, I guess I was just in. I'm only twenty, about to be twenty five. So it's like I'm in that like right when it was becoming legalized was once I was like kind of grab graduating high school. So then Colorado, I think, was like legalize everything, and I went to school for addictions counseling. So it was like really like I guess even some of the people that were teaching me were even saying marijuana is a better outlet than some of the other things as well too. Like some of them have like a strict nothing. And then some of them are kind of like, you can do pot. That's fine. And it's just like, just look back at the culture of like the seventies, the eighties, the nineties, and how like there was like demonizing it. And it was just like, I have no clue if this is a good thing, a bad thing. I don't know where to go. <laughs> um, well, my opinion, which I think is pretty well validated by data, is that it's a, this has been a very bad thing because the um, 
the the natural evolution of this was commercialized man it was totally hijacked it's not like people aren't smoking pot and this is the one thing that i wish everybody in the world would understand like they're they're, they're smoking concentrates they're they're consuming things that have absolutely no semblance of cannabis sativa or cannabis indica um these are highly engineered byproducts of the plant that are made to be so much stronger than what the human body has ever interacted with and, and there's really one simple reason for that and I'm, I'm actually working on a follow-up book right now and i i'm done with the chapter where i unpacked all of this it's just because the stronger it is the more addictive it is and the more addictive it is the more they sell it's been like this with every single vice substance in this country tobacco alcohol pharmaceuticals and uh, you know like if we step back from it and we put our critical thinking hats on we're like well why would we ever have thought weed would have been different um so you asked at the beginning about some specific examples i'm happy to give those if you, if you still want them like the protections in there yeah so um some of the biggest things that you certainly bumped into in Amendment 64, and most people have cut and paste Amendment 64 into their laws, is there are very serious restrictions on the amount of fines um, that you can give businesses, like like to the point where it's absolutely laughable, like um, total cost to doing business stuff. There are timetables built into it, and, and there was an Amendment 64 and most of the other ones that are happening that are like, okay, if you haven't accepted and approved the licenses by this date. And in Colorado, it was like six months after we originally voted on it. I mean, a, an insane timeline. Then everything is assumed approved. Um, you have no restrictions on potency. None. You have no testing requirements. In fact, Colorado hasn't tested a product for potency or purity in an independently validated test since 2015 um there, there was no there were no guardrails put up there there wasn't um they, they they didn't give themselves because the industry is the one who wrote it i mean the the marijuana policy project the drug policy alliance the um these are the folks who, who the marijuana industry association the cannabis growers association these are the ones who ultimately wrote this thing. So why in the world would they ever give themselves any guardrails inside of the law? Like they gave themselves a do everything. And the last decade has been everybody trying to figure out how to how to put some um, restrictions on what it is they're doing, but frankly, without a lot of luck because they got infinite money. When it comes to the massive amount of legalization that's been happening, I mean, it seems like it's been the past couple of years, it's become way more normalized. Um, do you think that they're aware of, I guess, the mass amount of problems that could occur? Like some, I mean, I, I've seen the debates, I've seen the discussions. If you asked me if I was going to make pot legal for everyone, I would say you have to keep in mind that everyone's not fit for pot. Some people have like major panic attacks and some people really go like for me, if I get high, that's how the studio was built. My buddy slipped me a 50 milligram edible on my birthday. And um, the next day I, I went to bed at 5 PM. Like that's how bad it was. But it was like, you took too much, you know, you got to have someone guide you through it. I was like, well, that's not everyone in the world. No one's going to do this spiritual guide method with you and walk you through <laughs> the great trips that everyone, and I'm not putting down pot. I mean, if someone wants to smoke it, go ahead. But I also think that we're leaving a lot of areas to the corporations. And if you expect a corporation to, you know, 
maybe skip over some things, some guidelines, some proper protocols that maybe weren't thought in advance to make a buck. I mean, that's an, a, a debate and opinion I would put up there. I mean, I think you get a lot of issues that start going on, especially these concentrates now. I mean, it seems like the game in general right now is the fact that take as much as you possibly can until you shit yourself. That's what it is. I hate to say it like that, but there's like, I mean, at a local vape store, they're selling 60 milligrams. They're selling like just insane stuff. And I'm like, well, how is any of this legal? Like not even three years ago, I swear to God, you had to like hide this from like everybody. You couldn't tell your grandma about it because she would rat you out to the cops. But it's like this whole industry that's just suddenly taken off. And now it seems like to be about getting the better, the strongest and the purest stuff. And it's like a game. And I'm like, there's no way that that ends correctly. No, man, I, I've always described it as an arms race. It's to get as high as you can for as cheap as you can. And the reason why is um, it's a little bit complex, but I think everybody will be able to follow it. Um, the, the reason why, at least my hypothesis on it, and I think it's a little more informed than others, is there's no lethal overdose associated with THC. There's there's never a point where you as a healthy young man, I mean, it, it will happen to some people, but these are one-offs, are, are going to um, experience uh, like heart failure or respiratory arrest from consuming THC. So what ends up happening is you can build your tolerance to it um, there, there's no cap to the end of your tolerance. You can build it forever. So the the people who are the best customers, the problem users, the people who are consuming six, eight, ten times a day, the folks who I end up um, working with and treating here, those are the ones who have this tolerance that needs a concentrate or a distillate to feel anything. Like good luck getting any. THC to attach to their cannabinoid receptors if it's not a 95% distillate or it's not an edible with 500 milligrams in it. So just like the any other substance we've ever had with addictive potential in here, it is the, the fringe that drives that market. It's the problem user that drives the market. It's not the casual user. Listen, man, you come to Colorado, you want to come up and go skiing for a weekend, get an edible, get a vape pen on your way up. Nobody gives a shit. Like, don't drive, all right? Like, and, and when I say nobody gives a shit, I, I mean, like, the industry included. Because they're focused right now on the 7% of people who are consuming about 75% of all of the product. And those are folks who are using an average of eight times daily. The money's always in addiction with this stuff. Have you ever looked into, like, the downsides? Like, I know we say nobody ever overdoses, but have you ever looked into, like, some of the ramifications or maybe some people's reactions that would be considered maybe overdose? And when I mention that, I only mention because there's one perspective I haven't heard anybody ever talk about, and it's one that I've heard from a family member. My family does, like, pot. It's commonplace. It's, like, the basic thing. Um, but I've heard the thing is, like, it feels like I just put my life on pause, you know, next thing you know, they're 40 something years old. And they're like, what the hell did I do with my life? Because every day was spent smoking four or five, six times a day, just getting high and having fun or just doing whatever. And that's like a real concern where it's like a lot of these kids and that's most of my generation is either getting high 24 seven, they go to their job, but there's like no really ambition in a lot of things as well, too. And I'm not saying I have ambition at all, but I'm just saying it seems like, you know, that's a real thing you got to think of. I mean, 10 years, I mean, nobody wants to look back and go, holy shit, I'm 40 or 50 or 60, whatever. But there is that real like your time is kind of paused. Your day is paused. And the next thing you know, it's the next day. And you're like, what the hell did I do yesterday? Well, I just got high. I've done it in high school. Holy crap. How many bowls of cereal I killed 
before school or something like that. And they just didn't go to school. Where's your books, Robbie? I don't know. I just was so you and me both. Yeah. <laughs> you and me both. No, man, you're um, so there's a really, really interesting term associated with um, persistent uh, cannabis use. And it's called chronic apathy. And the only time you find it anywhere in medical literature is associated with um, chronic THC consumption. So, I, I mean, that's the, I don't know how PG or whatever you keep on your show, but that's the screw it's right. That that's like the, we're, we're not, nothing's crashing and burning, man. It's not like somebody's smoking meth and they're out there turning tricks on the street to pay for it. But what it is, is a month goes by, a year goes by, five years go by. And wow, you're like, you really kick ass at Fortnite, but you never made it to school. And, and, and everybody's like, Oh man, that guy, he had so much potential. He could have done something. There's a, interesting some language i'm using in the new book is when i learned from some i do a lot of work on uh, reservations out here in colorado just trying to help out as much as i can because the addiction is profound um i'm sorry wyoming and montana and um there's a the the crow nation in montana calls uh marijuana the dream killer you know it's not like his meth it's not like his coke it's not like his it's not it's not taking people off the shelf right away, but what it is is keeping people from the potential that they could fully get to. And that's not everybody. You know, I had a kid once ask me, that was a great question. And I was giving a talk to a high school and he's like, would we have as much good music in the world if it weren't for marijuana? And I'm like, no, no, probably not. We wouldn't. But, but there's a big difference between, um, the the functional and the non-functional and just because somebody is functional they're like hey hey man i go to work every day i do i'm cool all right that's awesome my world is made up of people who don't and while i am glad to recognize that side of it that there are plenty of you who can do this and do fine it's frustrating for me sometimes that people have a hard time um admitting that there can be people who for whom it is an issue do you think a lot of the stuff when it comes to the bad parts about marijuana don't really get talked about because people focus on the extreme stuff like deaths. Um, Hell yeah, man. People nodding out in streets. I mean, I live near Baltimore, so that's like a very common thing and it's, it's hard to watch, but that's the stuff that gets reported. I mean, I also work at a gym, a gym facility and there are positive people that come in and they spend their whole day getting high and they do a lot of functional stuff, but there's also people that are signing up for a gym membership they're wearing an oversized hoodie. They don't look like they've slept in a while. And it's like, yeah, she's been sitting around smoking pot and watching cartoons. I kind of need to get my life going a little bit or get some fitness in my life. And then they end up giving up because they have don't have the energy. They'd rather just go home and smoke. So you kind of see both aspects of it. And I try and keep that balanced approach. But the amount of reporting on, I think recently and just recently on the news, there was a kid that overdosed and he said he overdosed on pot. And I don't know if that kid's lying or if it's something that, you know, he took something else and he was lying about or something, or it's the, how much concentrate he was having. Cause you do, if you do hit that edge, you take an edible or something that is really bad for a lot of people, there is like this freak out panic attack and you can't hurt yourself. Oh yeah, yourself. man. Oh, oh yeah. And sometimes that doesn't go away. That's that freak out thing um, is psychosis and you have both acute and chronic psychosis. Each one of them can be very, very scary, but no, he like, an, an overdose isn't somebody dying. An overdose is an unwanted negative reaction. And people overdose on THC in the, the hundreds, if not thousands, daily. The, the way that we know this is there's, there's something called an ICD-10 code. 
Um, and ICD-10 codes are what medical professionals, hospitals use to bill insurance. So like, okay, this particular um, code corresponds directly with this condition. There is an ICD-10 code for accidental and intentional poisoning overdose from THC. Um, and these are brand new. Like, I mean, dude, 10 years ago, the idea of somebody in, a, in an overdose scenario from THC was just r ridiculous. But 10 years ago, people weren't consuming strengths like they are today. So no, it's a very, very real issue. And the, the problem you get with the psychosis is sometimes it's lasting. Um, in, in fact, I'm, I do a group up here uh, with our, our patients um, every month, and it's today. And today, I'm going to look at the mental health effects of the THC use that they've um, experienced and hopefully help them start to look at a life and recovery with, without that. Um, the mental health side effects of this are the great untold story, man. There, there are some... And, and here's another thing, like you, you say this and the Carl Hartz of the world are going to yell at me and jump. And then I've been opposite him plenty of times on the television. And the, but there are plenty of de acute deaths associated with this since it's gotten so strong. It's still a very, very rare thing. And I don't like to talk about it because everybody's like, oh, forget it. But um, you're, you're saying like concentrates are vasoconstrictors. Cannabis is a vasodilator. So cannabis lowers your blood pressure, lowers your heart rate. Remember the old glaucoma thing, like interocular pressure? And concentrates actually do the exact opposite. They spike your blood pressure and spike your heart rate. And we don't know why. Um, and so somebody going from a, a resting heart rate of, say, 70 to a resting heart rate of 130 in a period of five seconds actually has led to a lot of real issues. Well, what's the recovery for someone who has a mental health problem or something like that? And they have, when I looked this up after I, I had my the bad trip, the one that built this studio, it was in January. So I think, yeah, it was, yeah, it was in January. So we're almost coming up around that time, but I still haven't felt like I came back from that 50 gram edible. I swear to you, there's some moments I get like brain fog. I had to look it up. I was like, what was wrong with that? Even like now I feel a little bit off. But there's just random moments and random times where, I mean, for a while, I thought I was like, oh, God, is it COVID? You know, I was nervous. But it turns out when I looked it up, someone mentioned, they said, you know, it's kind of like your brain's like a sponge. And every time you smoke, there's that chance like you just keep poking holes in it. And then it just doesn't hold water anymore. You got so many holes into it. And I started looking into that. And it was very common with people with ADHD, people with bipolar, people with like, a, 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 I guess, well-known, but kind of more medicated, I guess, more common uh, personality disorders or things that might affect someone's like, you know, function activity level, like ADHD hyperness, which is what I have obviously. Um, but I started looking at that. I go, okay, so if there are these mental disorders that can have bad reactions to pot, and we know that it helps in some cases too, I go, how come nobody's hearing about the bad cases? And it's not even like I'm being a roadblock in anybody's guide to legalizing marijuana. That's not it at all. But I think you have to bring both discussions to the table. And I mean, look, but look what the industry's done. They put it in dog treats. Now, if you give your dog cake, you know, it's bad for you, but you go, oh, it's just the one time. But what you're giving your dog a 50 milligram edible and it just makes your dog or your cat relaxed. I'm like, is that not like in a different discussion, animal abuse? I mean, I'm not saying, you know, this is an animal abuse thing. I'm just saying that would usually get brought to the table, but I feel like we've only heard the positives and not the negatives. So that's kind of one side of the argument and made the industry just go full force into, Hey, you can put it in your shampoo. I'm like, wonderful. Fantastic.
I wrote about that. I, I mean, in the last book, I, I, I wrote about that. And it is without, so there's no FDA oversight. There's no federal anything on any of this. So without being compelled to discuss the negative points, the only thing somebody who's selling something is going to talk about is the positive. I mean, do you think like like those commercials that we hear like may cause, looking at this medication, and it may cause all this stuff that sounds worse than what the medication is going to fix. They're not going to say any of that shit unless they're not legally mandated to say any of that. So what you've had for the last, I don't know, man, 15 years is like everybody talking about the upside, nobody talking about the downside. And those of us who have been saying, hang on, let's make it, let's take a more balanced approach here. There's two sides. Nothing is all good or all bad. Like the people who are coming at it like, oh, this is the devil's lettuce and smoke it one time. You're going to be killing people. It's crazy, man. But then at the, the other side, like there's no harms associated with this. Nothing bad can happen with it. The, you're wrong too. Like the, the science is really actually very sound on this. For some of it, we got to look outside of America. Um, some of it we have in this country, but we, we can like, we can say with some absolutes that that example that you gave it's an interesting one the sponge one so the technical language you would use for it would be psychosis or, or you know thought disorders or another piece um and to your list i would also add um anxiety and depression uh, as well as ptsd so we know that um these high concentrate thcs which is anything above 10 percent um are as a rule have very negative effects on somebody with those underlying mental health conditions very very negative um but nobody's being compelled to tell that side of the story so i mean the analogy i gave in my book man was like whoever has the loudest megaphone is speaking the truth and in america you get a bigger megaphone with more money and there is no money in prevention so there's no motivation for people to be like oh yo you shouldn't do that I mean, if I were being smart, I would be telling everybody to get as high as they possibly could because it would put more money in my pocket because more people would want treatment. Um, but there's there's no money in saying prudence, stop, don't think, whereas there is a shit ton of money. I mean, $26 billion this year, to be precise, in selling THC. Do you think it's also the fact that they're pushing it so much is because so many people neglect the big pharma industry. Like I'm not a big fan of pharma. I think people are way too easy to get medicated, but now the discussion has changed to go get your uh, weed card, go get your, you know, marijuana license or something like that. Where I go, I mean, is that, the, is that not like a same thing, but we've just kind of labeled the marijuana in society for so long. It had a very dark, like blocked out past, but I go, we also just went the complete 180 and then hyped it up more than ever, where it was like, is anybody else questioning that? But that's now a thing that you go to a doctor's office instead of offering, you know, something for your bipolar or something for your ADHD, they go, why don't you go get your medical card and then you can go get some marijuana and try that out. And of course that's going to be better in their mind suited than pharmaceuticals. And I'm not for using pharmaceuticals, but I go, you're not really giving anybody like a fur, I guess a thorough diagnosis. I mean, maybe that's inappropriate for me to say, but I feel like, you know, once medical, once a medical corner or medical store is built up on a corner, the first thing people start thinking, I'm going to go get my medical card because it's way better than taking a pill. And I agree with that. But at the same time, do I want you going to marijuana? That's the thing is like, is there another approach you could try? And I'm not for aromatherapies, but yeah, look, man, I've got, um, I, I have a major depressive disorder as well as PTSD. 
And um, I treat that stuff with um, psychotherapy, uh, medication, diet, exercise, all sorts of different things, all of these adjunctive therapies. Um, it, the, the, the problem with somebody just, um, here's the best way to look at it, Rob. Uh, you got a toothache. And I'm the snake oil salesman of the 18th century. I sell you a 95 proof bottle of Ben's magic elixir for whatever. You're not going to feel your damn toothache, man. Like if if you drink half that bottle and you're shit faced, you're not going to feel it. We have not done anything to target the decay of the tooth though. So what you get when you introduce any intoxicant into a situation, it's certainly not just weed. But you have this thing where, where folks are like, oh, I feel better in the moment. I feel better right now. But if we're not going after the underlying root causes, then those are going to continue to grow faster, get worse, like a tooth infection. And then as far as the big pharma goes, um, I, I actually um, i have written about this in the, the next book I'm close to getting done with. So <laughs> pop pop quiz <laughs> what, what's the company that brought america the opioid crisis i'm sure you know the answer that's living in baltimore uh i've heard i, I couldn't think i couldn't tell you purdue pharma right that's what uh, we all think of okay. the sacklers I used, yeah i was about to say i was going to say sacklers but I, I guess you wanted purdue well i mean the sacklers own purdue so it's those like special place in hell owning people who who like we had used opiates for a very very long time without big issues associated with them and that was because they used them for really sick and dying people and then in the early 90s those assholes over at purdue were like hold up if we could sell this to everyone think about the money think about the addiction potential think about the you know several million lost lives later um they're finally starting to pay some money for this thing but not after it was done so that all started in the early 90s so the dude the executive vice president of F purdue pharma who was in charge of the opiate division his name's john stewart actually jonathan stewart um he ran the marketing department for purdue's opiates from the early 90s until the mid 2000s he left that job to start what is now the third largest cannabis company in the world coincidence <laughs> it's the same people man it's the same shit yeah. different day like this is this is the people who realized that um where the money in alcohol is an addiction, the money in tobacco is an addiction, and the they've all just moved over to this next thing because I don't think people are holding them accountable enough. I mean, that's true. There's definitely special, I guess, exemptions for certain corporations, which I find is interesting. But if you look at like you mentioned something important about getting research data from another country, um, if you look at research influence over here, I mean, half the time I'm looking at a marijuana study and I check who the research influences are, and some of them could be tied in with marijuana corporations as well too, people that are pushing this product in a sense as well too. So I go, that's how do I expect you not to be biased in your own study when you're looking at side effects and you come to the conclusion that there's no side effects associated with THC. Dude, tobacco did the same thing. Yeah. Tobacco did the exact same thing. There's a there's a huge study that will get released, right? Like there's a couple that we follow really regularly. Uh, Lancet Journal originally published February, 2015. This is the effects of high potency THC on cannabis. They'll, or on mental health, they'll, they'll update this. And like an hour later, the Marijuana Policy Project will send out a, uh, a rebuttal to it. 
with their own science. They've already, they've had this shit waiting in the wings for something to get published. And they're like, no, 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 look at this side of it. It, uh, All right, like I'm totally going to listen to Philip Morris when it comes to making decisions about my smoking habits. That's a great idea. And the big issue that we've had and continue to have in these states is we let them sit at the table to build their own regulatory infrastructure. It's the same thing as letting R.J. Reynolds and Philip Morris sit at the table when we're trying to determine what tobacco um, law should look like. It's just stupid, man. How do you educate people into understanding that when everything in society has kind of ingrained them? I mean, even movies. Pineapple Express is a great movie, um, but they definitely blame Friday's like- better. Friday is a lot better, but you know, <laughs> Friday, Pineapple Express, so many movies, even like this is the end where he, they were doing a Pineapple Express two in the movie. And he was Woody Harrelson. It was Jonah Hill. And he was like, it's the people's weed. And it's like, that stuff is like hilarious. It's stoner comedy. But at the same time, it's like, they show a lot of like fun stuff about pot, but that's not even the worst of it. There's plenty of other things out there that have just pushed the narrative of all the benefits of it. And I think you start looking and tracing the money thing. People don't even think about that associated with pot because it's, it had a kind of a really rocky start in the beginning. It was banned and it was illegal. And then all this legalization seems like, well, cause it's a good drug. That's why. And it's like, well, hang on a second. Who is helping it make it legal. And then if you trace it back, you start noticing the same thing, either whether it's the tobacco industry or whether you start noticing big pharma in a sense. And I think that's not a dumb question to bring to the table. I mean, do you have a lot of people that's openly speak out about like, I guess, problems with mass legalization? I mean, I've only heard really the positives about it, but once I started kind of looking at more books about, you know, the opposite end of it, it's, I mean, I, I, some people would label some people as this or label some people as that. And I'm like, well, hang on a second. It's just, this just squashing out maybe the outside view, which is the outside view is that the fact that there's side effects and there's dangers to pot. And I don't think that's a dumb thing to think of. I mean, I think water even has some downsides as well too, but you have to let the public in on that conversation. And I think the general public doesn't even have questions about the downsides of pot unless they've been smoking it forever. And they realize it kind of been on freeze this whole entire time they're, they're getting there and, and i really have seen this shift like people are starting to be willing to have a more holistic conversation about it especially as we realize more and more that it's not about the plant like somebody who's smoking um who's smoking weed who's smoking a cannabis plant and 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 what somewhat resembles natural um, potency levels. Fine. Who cares? But it's these refined products. So, all right, let, let me ask you another question. Man. You said I could ask if, if you had the choice between having Ben Cord on your show or Seth Rogen on your show, which do you pick? Right now, I'm liking having you on my show. So I would stick with you. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. But can you imagine your views and your listeners? And your- I don't give a shit about that. <laughs> <laughs> most so, so most that- people would, though. That's, 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 I mean, if, if, I was, if I was thinking about somebody else and they were thinking about views or something like that, it would be Seth Rogen because he is so influenced into the stoner culture. I mean, you look at him, you basically picture every stoner movie or you picture a joint in your hands. It's like the Beatles. They get mixed in with LSD somehow. Totally. So, I mean, how many movies has that dude been in promoting weed? Like, I, I can't even think about it. Like, he he is, right now, because I just wrote this chapter about who's who in the industry, um, he is, uh, like, in the, in the top 10 dispensary owners in California. Like, he's got his own brand. He's got his own outlets. He's got, like, so 
nobody's gonna be able to tell me that this dude making another stoner movie, if you will, isn't somewhat about padding his own pockets. Like Cheech and Chong, that shit used to be funny and counterculture and out there. Now they each got their own brand. Like the 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 the, the problem is, man, that we so overreacted to this at the beginning. Like um, we did and said awful and untrue things about cannabis a long time ago. We, we originally made it illegal in 1937. You do not have to look very hard at all to see the reason why. Like you had politicians in this country. Man, America's done some great stuff. America's done some really, really shitty stuff. This came from the really shitty side. Politicians in this country being like, listen, if we make cannabis illegal, this will get us into the jazz clubs. This will get us into the barrios. It was a simple excuse to arrest black and brown people, really. Cannabis in the 1930s was doing almost no harm to the human brain and body, only extreme cases. And you could find those with anything. And so the, the problem is that every time you say something against it, you've got folks who are like, oh, there goes more of that reefer madness, you racist asshole. I'm like, no, 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 no. I agree with you that that was terrible. It was a nasty stuff we did. War on drugs, nasty stuff we did in this country. But how does that keep us? I mean, it's a perfect example of gaslighting. I bring up the uh, huge um, risks and increase in psychosis associated with high potency THC consumption. And somebody's like, well, yeah, but in 1930, I, I don't care about in 1930 anymore, man. Like, let's have the conversation about the here and the now. What are people consuming? Um, so on one side, you got the, the, the old school anti people who really should do a better job admitting, nah, man, there's some dirty ass drug laws in this country. And we should have considered them and somebody needs, somebody needs their asses kicked over this stuff. And then the other side of it, we got this, this people who normally would be critical thinkers. They got to start bringing their brain to the party and being like, all right, yeah, why am I believing everything that um, the, the THC companies are telling me? I would never do that with food. Do you find that once people start talking to you for a little bit, they kind of pull back from that, I guess, aggression or that like anti, oh, you're just saying that because it's, you know, it was racist or something like that in the past of jailing people. Do you find, cause I feel like you, you're a very good talker. You're very funny. You're very nice to talk to. So it's like, I feel like, I mean, I am complimenting you, but it is like, you're not like a hundred percent, like anybody that does this, you're going to live in a doped up society, which is the other argument. That's the other side that I've more commonly heard, which is that we're going to live in a doped up society. My grandparents would talk about that for God's sakes. And that's also why, like at every family Thanksgiving, when, you know, my uncle, whenever I smell like, you know, like weed, I think of my uncle because at every family Thanksgiving, it was exactly that smell. I always thought it was just like, that was his deodorant <laughs> like or his something cologne. like that. He was like, I look back on how many times I was like 10 years old and I was like, why do they always keep smoking cigarettes on the porch? And then they like walk. Around. No, that's not true at all. It's pot. I found out later when I was like, wait, that's my grandpa. And he's like smoking a bomb. We don't have to get into all that, but it's, you kind of realize like some of my family was really hardcore, like doped up society. Other ones were like, we just got to make it legal. It's all this anti rights and all this. And I'm like, I understand both sides of that argument, but to say that there's not side effects that come with it. And I feel like the way that you talk with people, you probably come in contact with both sides that ones that go, why are you standing in the way of progress or all this misjustice? And then you also see the side of people that are hurt and you just try and find that balanced approach, which is like, there needs to be an ethical discussion that gets brought to 
the table about what do we do if there are damages and what are some regulations that we can have in there as well too. And plus back in the day, you could smoke 30 joints and not get high today. It's like not even a quarter of one and you're gone. So it's like, I think that is very, very important to mention. Yo, man, we, we ruined weed. If you ask me like we, with the corporatization of it, they, they took all the fun out of it. Like people are consuming and they're, they're really dealing with some very serious issues where it should be, it should be fun. I mean, it was always a pretty, it's a very mild intoxicant that was, had some super cool medicinal properties to it. And the intoxicating effects of it were fun. Um, now I think we've ruined that. I mean, to answer the question, if, if someone comes into a conversation with me and they're a pundit, if they've already made up their mind one way or the other, no, nah, man, they're going to hate me by the end of it because I'm like, I, I, I will challenge either side of that. I will gladly challenge the drug warrior side of it in the same way I'll challenge the ultra permissive. Um, but if I can, if I can sit down and have a conversation like this with somebody and if somebody actually listens to this, um, no, we usually walk away from it at the end and they're like, yeah, I, I kind of wish I would have thought more critically on that side of it and it's for me the at the absolute root of it rob is that um you know i'm some i'm, I'm a recovery from substance abuse i've been sober a bunch of years and um i work with people who are at the very lowest point in their lives like everybody in the world i haven't had an easy life and like like nobody has man and and i don't know what's getting at you and so no matter what it is, I'm not going to walk into a conversation and judge somebody. I will listen and I will actually try to talk to them instead of just espouse my viewpoint. And I, I really wish we did more of that in, inside of this country, because if I could write the law, we'd have decrimmed weed forever ago. People would not face criminal charges for possession of personal amounts of weed. They're not a lot anymore, but there's like there is a million miles between decriminalization and the mass commercialization that we've done. Like we easily could have decriminalized all this stuff without giving corporate America the keys to the kingdom. Do you think that they started setting up proper guidelines a little bit too late after it was all rolled out? Like, for instance, if I bring up the example of driving while under the influence, um, they set up marijuana checkpoints. Now, I was driving home from work. It was like 5.30 p.m. And they were like, why are your eyes already been high? I'm like, what? I'm like, I just got off work, man. I'm dressed up in gym clothes. Do I look like I was getting high right now? Like, you kind of look like a stoner. I'm like, shit, do I need to rethink my you life? Look, but, you look like a stoner. So it's like, I, I don't, I mean, I, I see that. They put up checkpoints. They do it with alcohol stuff as well, too. But I mean, that's more known. But I also think that they ram this down people's throats of like, get a get a prescription at a weed office. And then when they start setting up these DWI checkpoints, I go, well, that's your guy's fault for showing everybody that like, hey, this is a great drug. You can smoke it anytime you want. And it's all this type of stuff. I mean, you basically just push people to get into their cars as well, too. And then there started to be, don't drive and smoke pot. Don't do any of don't drive under the influence but it's like you're a little bit too late and now at this point it's like saying use the crosswalk like there's no real ethical i guess real boundary there that's like hey this is dangerous you shouldn't be driving and then there was jokes about it too like 
oh, that I stopped at a stop sign and just waited for it to change to go. It's a funny joke, but like there's a real like simplicity that starts to happen when it comes to your reaction speeds. And, and everyone goes, oh, you know, that's just an anti-argument. It's like, well, I mean, it's a it's a kind of a smart one if you kind of look at how fast they rolled this out. No, they're they're, they're wrong. Like anybody who would say that's just an anti is somebody who's like simply not looking at or considering. We we actually have really sound data on this one. And the problem you got here is that there's lots of different components to it. The biggest one is we don't have the ability to to test. Like it takes a, a, a test like what you were stopped in it sounds like with a drug recognition expert at dre um there's no breathalyzer for weed and that's a huge problem but the the other one is yeah man it's that simple perception it's people who are like what's the big deal about driving high shit dude <laughs> five years ten years ago like everybody in the world knew driving under the influence of anything wasn't okay like you don't do it I, I, I mean, I, I don't know your life, I don't know your world, but I'd be pretty surprised if it hadn't been affected by somebody who had driven under the influence at some point. I mean, I know my mine absolutely has. Driving under the influence of THC, driving under the influence of alcohol, driving under the influence of opiates, don't matter. It's all the same thing. It's driving under the influence. And actually, I, I teach classes for law enforcement about this. And I go to as many colleges and high schools as I can to talk to the kids about driving under the influence. Because today, man, there are some of them. Here, here's a great story. So I, I work for NFL. And I do um, the a, a lot of the training and crisis intervention when the players get into trouble. But I do a lot of the training for substance abuse and mental health issues with them. A couple of years, I was in a locker room. I forget who it was. And um, it was one of the many teams in California. How about that? And uh, I, I was talking about driving. And one of the guys was like, hold on, man. I think you said that wrong. He, he said, you said it makes us uh, worse drivers. It makes us better drivers, right? And I was like, no, man. Like, actually, look at my slide. Like, here's the data. And, and he was like, I can't possibly see how that's right. I've always been told my whole life it makes you a better driver because you're more focused, you're more. That is completely contrary to sound science, but it's what people believe because, yeah, all this stuff got pushed out too quickly. I've heard that a couple of times that it makes somebody a better driver, but I mean, it's the same. It's literally the same argument. Some people go, well, I drive better drunk. It's like, no, you don't. You right. don't. No, you don't. Some people's no, like, don't. it's like bragging <laughs> that you're a good drunk driver is not a brag. Like, but some people do that. And it's just, I, maybe it's just make themselves feel better as well. That's too, exactly but. it. Because we can measure that. Like I can put you down, do like, I, like I can measure how much of a not better driver you are. Yeah. It's to feel better. It's, how do we find the common ground between both sides of the argument? Like, what's that that they, everyone can agree on when it comes to pro pot and then also anti pot? I don't I don't think like I said, I'm not going to be a roadblock in anybody's success of legalization. But I do have the thought if this was not corporatized, would there be a better thing on it? If it was just decriminalized and we weren't just selling it in specific shops with purest concentrates if we went back to the days where people would just get pot from a friend that knew a guy who knew a guy who was dating your cousin then at that point i mean i feel like that the less secretiveness the less hiding of it the more openness i mean smoking a joint on the street you know i don't i, I guess i get the argument where some people go i don't want to see that i mean okay that's true we have smoke sections in restaurants for a reason as well too but i think that corporatization is the issue because there is i mean 
that's where everyone's going now. It's not going to a friend who has the purest stuff because now the corporations have the purest stuff. So if you look at like who's going to make the rules and regulations, well, most likely it's going to be the corporations that are sitting there at a lot of those meetings, not the independent drug dealer that's, you know, hanging out and, you know, comes over on Tuesdays to mow your grass. I'm just saying. It's funny. I did a TV interview a couple of weeks ago and I, I said how much more I would prefer drug dealers to corporate America, like any day, man, um, any day. And I think to, if we're actually going to figure out how to do this, it's got to be a rational conversation where both sides are willing to sit down and listen to the other and more than anything, compromise, um, which I'm very willing to do. Man, I can cite the science all day long to you. Um, and I'm willing to give away plenty on what I know is sound science to move in the right direction. But uh, I, I don't know, Rob, like the, the question you ask, I think, is quite a bit deeper than just weed. Like, is, is weed just an example of um, and, and something we can look to for what's really going on in this country where, where it's like, you know, people are like, oh, those damn Democrats, they're never right. Those damn Republicans, they're never right. Like my experience in life is usually that the, the truth lies somewhere in the middle of profound opinion. And I, I, I wish that we would respect each other enough to sit down and listen to another person's experience, to another person's knowledge. And then instead of just try to convince them that we're right, um, have a conversation about it. Dude, if people could walk a mile in the shoes here and see the um, see, see the pain that addiction brings about, it would be a completely different story. I am more than willing to walk a mile in the shoes of the, the casual user, the person who doesn't have a problem, the person who does have a problem because like, like me, I, I had these serious mental health issues when I was a kid and I was too poor to have, and I never saw a psychiatrist. So I used medication, I used drugs to treat it. Like, listen to the person who's got real serious mental health issues, trauma, awful family situations, and they don't have access to good health care. The hell else are you going to do? Yeah, man, you're going to get high. Um, we need to have more rational conversations about a lot of stuff in this country. Do you think when it comes to pot, it's a gateway drug? I mean, I've heard that discussion. I think for certain individuals, it might be. Um, I've seen people just try their best to get even more high, move on from weed to straight wax dabs um, to farther than that when it comes to shrooms and it starts going in. And I look, I'm not against psychedelics either. I think there's great studies that show that it does help in some cases when it's medically like in a good scenario and things of that sort. But also, I mean, look at how people sometimes fight the weed argument where, I mean, it's like, how do you fight the fact that, okay, weed should be legal, but then you have oppositions on crack. And it's like, well, well, crack's horrible. Look what it does to people. At least when weed, I can be functional. I can play music. I can paint. I can do whatever. And I go, yeah, but do you see the people that are doing crack that don't want to do weed? Like, do you see that they have the same argument in a sense as well, too? Both of them can't recognize that there is destructive properties to the side that they're fighting. So you kind of have to look at it like, okay, so if we have reasonable data to show that we does have some side effects and it's not as bad as crack, maybe we don't have to do the supply legal all, all drugs type method. That to me is very dangerous. I don't like that, 
Um, obviously I'm not control of somebody's life. So if someone wants to do whatever, I mean, I've seen people not out in the street, there's nothing I can really do about it, but kind of be like, Jesus, this is horrible. But there is a real conversation that needs to be had where it's like, we can't just associate drugs that were illegal for so long as all the same drug. We need to start talking about individual benefits, individual risks. People need to be aware of these risks. And you can't just say you have to be over 18 to buy a, a weed pen. I mean, that's like with cigarettes. I mean, people are aware that cigarettes give you lung cancer, but they're still shoved in our faces all the time. Boom, dude, you just nailed it. And, and this was... I mean, I've ate my ass off. I haven't done it this episode, but I was to be a hypocrite. <laughs> Maybe this is because it's in the forefront of my mind that this is so loud to me right now. But um, I, I just just finished the last chapter I finished in the new book is um, a comparison of how long it took us to accept the risks of tobacco um, versus how long it's going to take us to accept the risks associated with high potency THC. And now, I mean, you you know, for the most part, my, actually, my biggest beef with vaping is you don't completely know. But let's just pretend like you had a pack of cigarettes on there on, on the desk and you were choosing to have a cigarette. You got a warning on that pack of cigarettes. You know that your odds of getting cancer increased by about 20 percent. You like you've grown up with this stuff. You know this. The only thing I want on the other side is for people to make informed decisions like stop thinking it's a panacea nothing bad's ever happened weed can't possibly hurt me i'm a hundred percent like i'm i'm immune from any issue and start realizing that like yeah these are the risks i'm taking i am willing to take these risks and then the other ones are don't put me and my family at risk don't drive don't consume around my kids so they can see it because that makes them more likely and your example of somebody smoking out in the street or doing the, the, the thing I always ask is just a, a common courtesy is I will never get down on somebody's um, smoking. But for me, for somebody who's in recovery, and, I, and it's been more than 20 years for me, I smell that and it does something to my brain, man. Like it takes me back. And it, it's the smells, the strongest sense of memory triggering that we have. For the guys who I work with who are in really early recovery, sometimes they smell that man and they can get a little overwhelming. So the only thing I ask of people who consume is, yeah, I mean, just just be aware of the people around you. Um, it's not like having a drink because if somebody's having a beer on the other side of the room from me, I don't smell it. But if somebody lights up on the other side of the room from me, it's going to wake something up inside of my brain. Um, so all what I would really like to see is a more rational conversation that leads to us saying. Um, there are these risks, there are these benefits. I am accepting these risks to get these benefits. I think you're going to have a whole generation of people, probably my generation. And I think a little bit above my generation, like more like my brother's a couple of years older. It's mostly his generation where it's that freeze aspect on their life where they kind of feel like they've been in place because all they've done is smoke. You're going to see probably a lot more of that. I think even with the newest generation, like my little nephews, I don't, my, I see my brother smoke all the time, but when I see my, he, he's around my nephews, there's no talk of pot. There's none of that going to ever be influenced in their life. And I'm like, oh, cause what's wrong that you kind of realize the damage that it does a little bit in a sense. <laughs> and it's not being hypocritical in that, but he's honest about it where it's like, yeah, it's like, you know, you, 
these kids kind of have a little bit of promise there when it comes to like things that they can accomplish. And that is what happens. And I think you kind of notice it. I, like I said, I work at a gym facility. I see people I went to high school with. They do not look like they did back in high school, you know, when they were carefree smoking all the time. And then now they're kind of upset with themselves because they might've let themselves go. And that's fine. I mean, it happens, you get older, but at the same time, you know, the life on freeze aspect. Now I will ask you this question when it comes to alcohol, so we have alcohol that, I mean, there was the prohibition and then it just became so, uh, I guess, legal. You have to be over 21 to get alcohol. You can get it anywhere. But at this point, there's, there's a talk about, I guess, the downsides, don't drink and drive, but it's so addictive where if you literally stop drinking, if you're like an everyday drinker, you can die from that. You can go to the hospital. I mean, that was the, one of the biggest things in the pandemic. Don't close the liquor stores because it's going to cause people to go to the hospital. So I feel like it's kind of like, was that? the alcohol industry, did we just lose track of that? Because for so long we had our eyes on pot and how dangerous that was. <clears throat> okay. So all I can give you is opinion here. My, my opinion on this is no, we've always known how dangerous alcohol is. It's, it's one of only two substances in the world that can kill you detoxing from, as you said, the others are benzodiazepine. Um, no, I don't think we did. I just think that I live, I live in Colorado, man. If I want to go down and go to a baseball game, I'm going to Coors Field. Like I can't turn on the TV and not see 25 advertisements for it. Um, it has just become so ingrained into society. Sponsors everything. It is everything. It's just accepted as. So um, the, the case that I always kind of try to make to people is that I, alcohol is not the most damaging substance in this country because it's the worst. And it's very bad substance, does some terrible things, but also plenty of people use it with total impunity. I know plenty of people who drink it is not an issue. My wife, for example. Um, the issue that we've got is, is that you it's not a problem of it being worse. It's a problem of it being consumed more. And I believe it's consumed more simply because there's a multi-billion dollar organization an uh, industry dependent on its consumption. So alcohol is not inherently worse than these other substances, but it does more damage because more people use it. And that's what I always keep coming back to with weed. Weed's not worse, but is it going to do more damage as more and more people use it earlier and earlier and more and more frequently? With the purest of concentrates, the way that we're going in the direction of more and more, I guess, THC and more and more like direct, I guess, potent stuff. Is there ramifications and studies that are showing that this pot or this marijuana, whatever, is exactly what caused this person to freak out and have these huge kind of, I guess, hospitalization type things, if that ever does occur? And then what's the ramifications that could happen to the corporation that sold or created that in the first place? I mean, if you have a whole era of gummies out there that are like 100, whatever, and they're just stuff that like sign this waiver before you take this. I mean, what's the ramifications as well too? We, waiver aside, but I mean, just the legal stuff that you can commonly get in a store. I think the max <laughs> I've seen is like 50 or 75s that you can get milligrams. Um, oh shit, man. I'll send you an ad for a cake pop with a thousand. Fuck. I can't do that. I even have a panic attack <laughs> here in that. Um, no, there there's, um, all right. So there's this old adage. And um, what it says is, is sometimes it's best to let the wolf kill the fox. Um, the wolf in this country, the absolute 
the highest of the high, the people who really control shit are, are the trial attorneys. The foxes, I think, are the corporations and the politicians and stuff. The only reason stuff changed with tobacco in this country was because there were major class action lawsuits. And that's how the truth campaign came about. It's where um, like all of the ads that we see, cigarette smoking is plummeting right now. And it's because your generation and certainly every generation below yours is going to grow up with a really strong message about tobacco because we had so much money from the lawsuits that happened. So, yeah, it's probably pretty inevitable at some point. Um, it's probably pretty inevitable that there's some some major lawsuits around it. Um, there's a couple of them that are going through right now. But, um, yeah, ultimately, you got to wonder if um, tort uh, or suing isn't what really changes this game. <laughs> I agree with you. I just, I think we land in this area where like, like I said, not to be a hypocrite. I mean, I do vape, I do drink, I've been cutting down. I used to do eight energy drinks a day. I'm down to one. Um, the thing with ADHD is caffeine doesn't hit like normal for. So, oh, I know. Yeah. <laughs> you and me both buddy. <laughs> so when I, through my conversations talking with sleep scientists and people study ADHD, they're like, you're like 90% more likely if you have ADHD and you're a male to commit suicide. And it's like, well, Jesus Christ. It's like, this life kind of rigged out for me. And then even sleep scientists, if you don't, if you don't sleep, they're kind of like, oh, you're kind of aging yourself by 30 years. And you're like, okay, so I can smoke. I can do whatever the hell because obviously my life's not going to be forever. But it right, is that, I'm fucked anyway. Yeah, right? so it's like shit. <laughs> and it's kind of like this discussion that gets brought up where you start going, I think as long as you know the risks, obviously you can try and find ways to limit a lot of this. Like I'm cutting down energy drinks, cutting down smoking as much, cutting down so much because I understand the risks that come with it. But if you start talking about what people would say would help you get off a lot of those things like caffeine addiction and all this, try pot. And it's kind of like, I mean, do you guys even understand the own risks associated with the drugs that you're telling me to start using? And that's kind of the discussion that needs to be taught a little bit more too. I think with better education, I mean, do you have, when you speech at like a high school or something, do you have more kids that are kind of joking about it? Like, oh yeah, you're, you know, whatever. It's like, you're high class. You think, you know, I, that's usually the mentality I think of when someone's anti-pot. I usually go like suit and something like a stoner society idea. But if I look at it from like a high school viewpoint, I mean, how many kids are actually seriously talking about maybe potential risks? I mean, I feel like this is now they're going to start, you're going to start seeing advertise. I think if you haven't already, you're going to start seeing advertisements for pot. And that is one dangerous thing that I would rid out of all of this. No pharmaceutical advertisements. We're one of two countries that do that in this world. It's us in New Zealand. And then there's alcohol advertisements. There's so many advertisements of things that are bad for you where I'm like, how did this even happen? You guys don't need to advertise. It's like Coke. You Coke doesn't need to advertise anymore because it's so ingrained in our, our society. But we do it anyway. We show billboards, we show tasty beverages, Super Bowl games, football games, sports events. All these things have been linked in where I go, you got to educate people on the risks as well, too. And that does come with pot. If we start advertising that, which I think in the next five years, you're going to see that. Oh, we certainly are seeing it. But again, the problem is, man, there's no money in advertising an anti-intoxication. There's no measure. There's no money in advertising against alcohol, against tobacco, against pot. But there's money in advertising to sell it. That's that's a problem you got. But I'll, I'll tell you, man, to answer your question about the kids, <clears throat> it's different now than it was even five years ago like i man i hate doing assemblies because like 
here I am, like a former user and, and everything. Like, what am I going to get up on stage and be like, oh, drugs are bad. Okay? Like, why don't you guys just not get high? Like, I remember those morons who came to my school and tried to say that stuff. I hate doing them. But I do them all the time because the kids will listen. And I mean, honestly, man, if I'm not wearing a sweater and a button up, most of me is covered in tattoos and I have a hard time not cussing. And I came from a different world than I think most of those people do. And I respect the kids because I was more like them, that user. But I'm, I'm, we have great conversations. But I'll tell you, I'll tell you what, dude, these young people today, nah, they get it. They're like, yeah, like I had a friend. I tried it once. I ate an edible. I like their experiences are not the same as yours and mine because they never get a chance. Dude, they're initiating on concentrates. I, not only do I talk to people all the time, we treat people at the program where I work who've never smoked a flower. They've never rolled up the sticky icky. They've just hit a vape pen with a concentrate, man. Like, <laughs> so, so they have seen the issues associated with it. And now nah, they're going to be way more willing to have those conversations, I think. I wonder if you know, you always hear this talk about this younger generation is a little bit more sensitive to some of these ideas and some of these things because of some of this exposure. I wonder if that's because they're starting off on level like 100 compared to when people back in the day were starting off with like dirt weed and stuff like that. Like that, that's always for me. Like, I think I think so. I, I, I remember rolling a joint. I remember doing that type of stuff. I mean, I did it a couple of times. I mean, it's the reason why I love the fucking Red Hot Chili Peppers live at the Slane Castle. If you ever watch that high, dude, holy shit. Um, but I still like when I listen to that today and I think about those times as well, too. And I just start kind of going, I go, I mean, if we look at like how many people talk about the kids today, they seem like they know, like they do know the right path. And I think that is because they're not starting off where everyone else started off. I was starting off when they were introducing some of that, like vape pens and things of that sort. So I was just on that cusp and I kind of realized it was like, this is a little bit too much for me. And I was smart enough to kind of back away. But a lot of people think like, you know, oh, it was just one bad trip or it was just one bad this. And then they take a little bit and that leads down a darker road. I remember my buddies never smoked pot. And he's the one that gave me the edible. Um, and he just in the past two years had a little vape pen starts hitting. He's like, this is amazing. And I'm just like, damn, dude, don't be like a stoner like every single day. That's not it's not like I'm going to lose them or anything. I'm not mad at him. But I'm like, you know, it's cool to do on the weekends. But when you start calling out sick from work because you just want to stay kind of home and get high, I'm like, that's when you kind of got to start noticing that this might be a little bit of an issue. And that is, I mean, I get chronic it. apathy, dude. Yeah. I mean, the world is a little bit tough and i agree not everybody has their own experience and stuff like that and if you're telling me it's funner to stay home and get drunk or funner to stay home and get high i mean yeah more people will probably take that than go into their job that they might necessarily not like and look i don't think that's an answer to your problems i think that's just a, a freeze thing that's a thing that's only going to buy you a little bit of time you still got to go to your job i think that's what i agree with carl hart where um he mentions the fact of rehab facilities like they're just there to get you off of the kind of drug in a sense um and not uh, they don't fix the problem in your life sometimes i mean if your house is burned that's down... bullshit he's absolutely wrong okay most of them do in fact i got um I, i've been opposite him plenty of times and he does not understand what we do and he uses ridiculous and inflammatory language to do it i will fully respect his getting high for grown-ups and his thing and his the it, it there's a lot of bad treatment programs in this country but like where i am right now 
where <laughs> most of them, no, we go absolutely after root causes because we have done nothing if all we've done is removed the substance. We got to get down to the why. We got to get down to the why. Um, and that's actually somebody who, and, and, and if, if you want to have some fun, man, go back and find some times he and I have been opposite on TV together. I don't even like doing it anymore because he's so disrespectful. Like I will call him, I will address him as Dr. Hart the entire time. I will ask him to elaborate more. I'll challenge studies and he'll, he'll laugh at me and say, you're an idiot. Um, now I, I don't, I don't respect a lot of the positions that guy's been coming from there. I believe that there's private or there's rehab facilities that definitely do the right thing that are filled with the right people like yourself that are trying to actually make a difference and actually help people as well too. But I just, I have this mentality that's against kind of the corp, not like I'm not a, uh, what do you call it, a libertarian? I would probably side more with the beliefs, but I don't believe you should tear down your government. I just think you have to fix it. You have to get proper people who are willing to do the job. Like if you ask me, who do I think should regulate marijuana laws? I would be like, well, the people that it affects as well too. I mean, you have to have both sides of the discussion in there, but you have corporations that are making those regulations. So I go, I mean, are they going to do anything that's going to minimize the profit aspect of things? I mean, even if it's a warning, I mean, look at some of the studies out there that have put a disclaimer label in front of a video or something like that. Do those people click in or sign into their accounts to go view the video? No, they go on to something else. So now you're minimizing your traffic and you can compare the same thing to putting a disclaimer on pot on some things as well, too. I think it's going to get there at some point, but also all the necessary studies, all the extra funneling of cash that has to go to looking into some of this stuff too. Is it just easier to do one study and be able to have it side in your favor and not do other experiments to try and replicate it? I mean, that's common sense, but it is that discussion of like, are we going to have people like yourself that care about obviously the real message here, the underlying factor, which is the why and all of these things to be able to make some of these regulations. And I don't believe that at all. I think that a lot of that is just the corporations are going to be giving the message to everybody. And that's really going to suck because there's going to be a whole generation of people. I feel like when they hit, you know, older parents, I guess, closer to grandparents age, they're going to be really pissed off at the fact that they were a trial run in a legalization factor without even bringing up the other side of the discussion. In, in, in the same way that my grandparents grew up being told three out of four doctors preferred camels and and then they they got to that point dude you camels, you oh bet god right it was the same thing it's if you're not hearing both sides of it um it, it's it's the same thing and i'm actually writing on this right now um so as soon as that book's done i'm gonna have to send you one i've had, i actually have um the state inspector here at my facility right now my my thing is blowing up they're all waiting for me outside but i i, I had an idea man like if you wanted to because i love talking to you and if you want to have the conversation and get somebody who you feel like would sit on the very different side of this issue than me and like see if all of us couldn't just have a nice civil conversation together that I'll come back anytime. And maybe we could, maybe we could try to actually do what I've been talking about doing, which is bridge some gaps, you know? I'll, um, I'll definitely try and find someone. I know a couple of people who study like certain THC and psychedelic drugs as well too. At least I think they definitely sit on the opposite side. I've had some conversations that are completely one side as well too. I, and they would be even, I mean, a lot of people that I talk to 
people I would actually connect together tend to have this kind of open to discussion aspect of things. So it wouldn't be, and I, I don't allow debates or arguments to happen. I think that's a dumb way. It sucks that our politics are like that, but I'd love to have you back Me on. Me too, Rock. <laughs> I'd love to have you back on once your second book comes out as well too, man. And if you want to give a promotion to all the links that people can find your books um, and anything else you'd like to promote, if you have a Twitter, I'll follow you as well. I'm the worst at any of that. Apparently I had a Twitter and I hadn't been on it in four years. And somebody was like, Hey, you got to log into this. No, man, I'm, I'm the worst. The the book it's on Amazon and, um, and Barnes and Noble and all that stuff. But it's, it's old. It, it was 2017. Most of that shit's ancient history, honestly. Um, something that might be worth watching. Actually, I gave a Ted talk a couple of years ago. That's a little bit um, more interesting um and i somebody just told me i can't remember the name of it but it's like a it's like an online university where i like i can create content and then people can go on and take the class with it so i've actually started working on a class for professionals to understand this better but if i ever get better at self-promotion all that stuff i will let you know but until then like (laughs) you got my cell phone number (laughs) <laughs> uh ben i'm gonna link uh your ted talk video and everything else for everyone to be able to find as well too in the description it's been a pleasure chatting with you and thanks for listening to this episode out of the